Welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. This is Jeffrey Groman, and I am joined this week by my guest, Andre Kvapil. I hope I got that pronounced correctly. I think he is a cloud architect at Widos, but Andre, I want to just let you introduce yourself first, and then you know we'll get into the discussion. Okay, I'm Andre Kvapil, and almost last five years, I'm working as DevOps engineer and DevOps evangelist at Widos. We are biggest Czech company, and we are using Kubernetes a lot, especially the last years, to manage our infrastructure and all our applications. Cool. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Cool. So let's let's get into that a little bit because I think I, I think this is an interesting topic for a lot of our listeners in that I think we've got a lot of folks who have maybe started to get into Kubernetes a little bit or in their own companies or or maybe what they're doing sort of on the side. I think they might have some interest in that or have already dabbled in it or have already really gotten into Kubernetes. And it sounds like you guys are doing some really interesting things. So maybe maybe just to start us off. How did how did you guys at Widos and maybe you know tell us about these the projects you've been working on? Whether I'm not sure if they're only within like your company or if you've been doing some of this on the side as well. But tell us like what like what you guys have been doing and what sort of um, I guess you know sort of inspired you to 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 sort of build some of these projects and do these interesting things that you've been doing. Actually, I'll tell about myself as. Uh... No, uh, actually, uh, our company is standard web hosting company. We are selling uh, web hostings like PHP for hosting PHP applications, databases, and stuff like that. But we have really powerful uh, infrastructure behind it, and we use Kubernetes for that. I was hired in this company to be like cloud architect. Uh, we were needed to run some platform for running virtual machines for our customers. But lately, I started working more about managing infrastructure and integrating Kubernetes, DevOps, and all that stuff at our company. And I built a lot of interesting projects. I found this practice really useful, and I think Walt should know about that. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And it could be that I'm just way behind the times, and, and I that could very well be, and maybe I've just missed the boat. But I'm not... I'm not sure that all that other hosting companies out there are sort of building their infrastructure and managing it using containers and Kubernetes. It's 
like I say, maybe I'm just behind the times, but it, I'm guessing that a lot of hosting companies are still just doing virtual machines and, and that sort of sort of, you know, virtual infrastructure, that sort of thing. What did you guys start that way? And, and what prompted you? Like what, I mean, I, I get the idea. I get the, the advantage of doing things with Kubernetes, but certainly that becomes a little bit more com- complex. And, and it certainly means that the folks that are managing that infrastructure like you need to become really super aware of Kubernetes because I'm sure a lot of your clients are probably saying, hey, you know, you're hosting our our apps, our data. We can't tolerate outages. We can't tolerate, you know, we don't want instabilities. And so, you know, you folks probably, you know, really need to feel like, hey, we've got this down. We know how to, we know how to build the infrastructure using Kubernetes. We know how to manage it without, without problems. Like what, you know, tell us a little bit about like how you ended up going down that path. And then I just want to hear more about the interesting things that you've, you guys have been doing to, to sort of, you know, build on that. Actually, we started building our infrastructure and we were choosing between other, many other solutions. We had even our own solution, but the thing is uh, we started using really interesting hardware. We're using uh, HP Moonshot's uh, chassis and there is blades. And so for now we have really a lot of servers. For now, in that environment, we have about 1,000, and this number is growing every day. Okay, not every day, but every month. Uh, <laughs> and we, we were needed some solution for simply managing these uh, servers. This is not yeah. only about distributing workloads on them, but also about preparing the servers itself. It's not so convenient to go and install operating system, not the automatic way. And previously, I had some experience with the using LTSP project. This is thing. Uh, this is actually a Linux terminal server project. This is not like terminal server, but it allows you to boot the live system directly into RAM, especially Ubuntu or Debian, and you can just start using it. So I just came up with idea: why not using this for preparing the servers? First time it was just for managing OpenNebula hosts uh, because OpenNebula is needed just a libweird, Kiamu, and a few other things installed, and it can be managed directly through the SSH. But lately we decided to put there also Kubernetes, or we started choosing the solutions. There were some idea to using Swarm, something else I don't remember for sure, maybe even Puppet. But Kubernetes was giving us everything need, and we decided to use it because right. it has really nice API, all features we needed, and it was allowing us to just run the containers we needed. Cool, cool. And when you think, when you talk about, like, I think you were saying, like, literally thousands of servers, physical servers in your data centers, were you using any kind of or, or what were you guys doing for from like a configuration management, right? So I, you know, you hear like Ansible, Chef, Puppet, that sort of thing. Were you guys doing something like that before? And are you still doing something like that with Kubernetes? Or, or how does you know how how do you sort of? Yes, just... we have we have our own development. It was used before me. It's some application written on Java, and it was needed. I don't know. It's some kind of scheduler manager. I actually I don't know what is is it doing. But for now, is Kubernetes is replacing all these things. We configuring our servers directly in Kubernetes, even adding some leases to GCP ser- server through the Kubernetes API. 
And then we just click the button and new portion of the service is just starting booting and ready to hold your workloads. Cool. Very easy and very fast. Cool. That sounds really sounds like a no a really cool way to try and, and manage a very large set of of servers. And so and and are you doing this like was part of the goal to to sort of create just I don't know how, how to uh, you know almost like a mirror image of, of each container so that you know for each client is each client basically getting the same environment and therefore you're sort of cloning each one and, and you can do that within Kubernetes or or do you have to do customizations for, for certain clients and does that make the, has that made the management of it and the setup and all that more complex? Do you mean our clients, our company clients? Yeah. Actually, they don't even know that we're using Kubernetes. No, they can read it from our blog posts and <laughs> right from our I don't know, Facebook page, but actually they don't see that environment. And even if they're getting some FTP access or even SSH access, we're providing that to their servers, they don't right. know that it is running inside um, Kubernetes. We use, we don't use microservices pattern much. No, we use it, but it is a little different. We're running servers. We have thousands of servers and we're run, running uh, thousands of containers on them. So we have fed containers which managing many our customers at one time. Right, all right, that, that's cool. So And Kubernetes is more likely configuration manager for, for us. Right. We're putting configuration and everything should be declared and running. It, it, it is declared in Kubernetes. All right, and that seems to also give you the ability to then do updates and probably even infrastructure changes without affecting the clients. So the clients don't even know if you're doing some kind of um, update or, or, or actually, or actually, yes, we have everything automated. And if we're running virtual machines, we're also running them inside the Kubernetes. There is special script, which is running, doing the live migration and they can don't even know about that. Right. As about hosting, there might be some short downtime, but we have solution for for that. And we this is actually about the clustered file system question. If the file system supports read write many uh, or operating from the multiple nodes, it's not a problem to just scale your deployment to few replicas and scale it down to just move it. Um, Kubernetes will roll this traffic automatically, but we still uh, in in some points, uh, we still have some weak places and we're trying to get rid of them. <laughs> right. Uh, that makes sense. Actually, um, yes. This is because we started working with the Kubernetes uh, without having good experience with that. Uh, no one had uh, experience with that few years ago because right. all this movement just was started. And we were we started with that and we learned it a lot. We, <laughs> we went all this long path and yeah, we went, we, we learned it a lot of things. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds like a courageous uh, decision to make back then, right? I mean, you, you sort of you have to have a lot of courage and and sort of work, work hard at at learning a new technology and, and making it making it stable, making it production ready for you know for your clients. That's true, but when you're working with the Kubernetes, it is uh, something that you need to change your mind when you're starting. Just uh, just watch on back of the time, you will see that that previously we were using virtual machines. Inside the virtual machines, we have init system and everything need for running some certain work, workloads. But in the Kubernetes, we have uh, each container 
which should run just single process. And that's not without the reason, because it can send the logs and to study out. You don't need any, it simplifies it from the one point, but from the other point, it makes it little complicated. But the main thing that you have to change your mind and when you and just start thinking differently. And the problem that we started using Kubernetes, we also started uh, using it wrongly. Like we started looking for the solution, how to put static IPs for the containers because our previous services weren't able to work with the dynamic IPs. For now, everything is different and we we prepared it more proper way and I like it. <laughs> cool. So, so tell me about some of the projects that you know, you've got, like in GitHub, like Kuber Farm and, and Kubernetes and Kubernetes. I'd love to hear more about what else you're working on. Okay, I asked about these two projects in the way how I was trying to compact all everything I did in this company and to provide it in to provide it in the state where someone can just take it and simply reuse it for for themselves. Kubernetes in Kubernetes, this is actually Helm chart for installing Kubernetes inside the Kubernetes. Kubernetes control plane. So all needed binaries like, I don't know, Kubernetes API server, scheduler and controller manager. And of course, ATCD, it can be run inside the Kubernetes. Why it was needed? Because we're having some teams which are working on different projects and we found that having one big cluster for all of them is not good because Kubernetes, as we know, is single tenant application. It's single tenant. Actually, Kubernetes is single tenant. Yes, it means that for each team, it's better to have separate cluster. So yes, uh, that's the way you can run multiple Kubernetes. And if you need to run multiple Kubernetes and Kubernetes is a well-constructed application, which follows all the 12 factor apps. So why not running it inside the Kubernetes? <laughs> that was the reason. And the second project is Cube Farm. Uh, it is actually implements the previous one. It includes uh, that's another Helm chart, which includes the previous one. So it's running Kubernetes control plan. And also it is running PXC server and manages configuration for DHCP. So you can just specify some parameters in the values file, put it in Kubernetes, and then you can boot your nodes. They will be automatically download this image and will be booted from it. That's two, that's two projects which I'm working on, and that's actually it. <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about, just going back to the Kubernetes in Kubernetes. That, that's really interesting. So I guess the other, maybe the other way to, that you could have gone about that is having different, you know, having multiple teams working on different projects rather than setting up, I guess, multiple clusters of Kubernetes you wanted to sort of, it sounds like what you almost did was build like a hierarchical set of Kubernetes clusters where you're sort of managing it all within Kubernetes. Is is that, am I off? I mean, is that, is that, is that the right way to think about it? Yes, and you will be surprised, but this uh, pattern is uh, really used nowadays in some companies. For example, Google running PKA on-prem. 
and they're running also it the same way like Kubernetes and Kubernetes, but I guess they use some, not using Helm chart, they're using some own solution like operator or I don't know. If I remember correct, Gardner also follows this logic, but they're running compute nodes somewhere outside of this cluster or for example, in some clouds. Okay. And they have uh, the cluster part just for admin cluster, just for running control plans. Right, right. So is that where you guys got the idea? And then it was just a matter of figuring out how to implement it within your own data center? Actually, <laughs> I had a lot of interesting projects previously. For example, I was counterizing Open Nebula. First, we having everything uh, is counterized, uh, counterized in our infrastructure because uh, there is no way how you can deploy on our servers other way because they actually have no any state persistent state. If you deploy, if you, if you do some, if you perform some changes on them, after the reboot, these changes will be lost. So the only way how you can install something in persistent on these servers, it's just describe this deployment in the Kubernetes. So this way I was performing, I was performing deployment for the Open Nebula and for the running virtual machines there. And the later at the second project, I decided why not put Kubernetes in Kubernetes because we were needed that. And it was one of the simplest solution. Cool, cool. So, so you're the way that you guys deploy containers, and you said there's no there's no persistence. So on a reboot, nothing's kept. So if you're doing it Kubernetes within, so if you're managing it all within Kubernetes, that's how you manage the persistence of of data and such through reboots. Yes, our nodes have some disks. Uh, that's also an interesting thing that we have no any external storages. Uh, if you have some external storage, you can store data there. Uh, but we came up with using some clustered file systems and we tested a lot of them. The most uh, popular is Ceph, but we decided to not use Ceph, we're using CleanStore. It's a thing uh, which allows you to manage using standard uh, Linux tools like LVM or ZFS, prepare virtual volumes on your nodes and then enable replication for the data. So data will be replicated between two or more nodes. It uses DRBD for the replication. It can, be, this disk can be delivered to every, uh, to any container of your workload. So we have no any persistent state for uh, operating system in our servers, but we storing persistent data sometimes on some of them. Hmm. Cool, cool. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it, the only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They, they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick, and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, l- let's face it, grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow 
because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at adventuresindevopspodcast.com slash Raygun. So I'm curious, you know, this sounds really interesting for for those... I'm just sort of, I guess, I'm sort of imagining, right? So a lot of, um, a lot of our listeners, I think, are, are probably working, you know, sort of in the DevOps world as engineers, maybe for bigger companies that still have presence in their data center. And they're probably doing some things in the cloud. It seems like everybody is, but they probably still have, you know, a lot of, you know, some kind of presence within their own data centers. And you know, I think that's always been a challenge. Is that for most companies when you managing your own data center always meant that anytime you had to do like a new application, a new, you know, new project, whatever that was, it always took like months just to get infrastructure set up for something to get purchased, for it to get set up in the data center, for the OS to be loaded, for the IP to be, you know, IP'd and on the right network zone and, you know, like all those steps, right? And then before it's handed over to the application team to start to start moving, and here you have a really interesting way to sort of try to manage your data center in a much more automated fashion. I'm curious, like you, from your perspective, could you see that as a use case for like not a hosting company, but just a company that, you know, an old brick and mortar, brick and mortar company that still has one or more data centers still managing their own servers? Could they start managing things using you know, Kubernetes and Kubernetes, maybe setting up servers like you're describing using Kuberfarm. You know, is that something that's practical for some a company or, or do you think that, that's, that, that that wouldn't work? I think it will work, but uh, this solve is just part of the problems. You still need to perform the network uh, devices. You still need to, right. uh, you need to have some actually network. And then you need to, we have specific operator, which is the again we adding some YAML file into Kubernetes to get it to let it know that we have new hardware uh, in our environment, and it can go there collect some MAC addresses and configure DCP server. In the way, if you would use it, just this project, you would do that manually or also write some own automation for that. We have a lot of similar hardware. That was wasn't a problem to write it the similar thing to all of them, right? But there is still a lot of things which you have to think about. Actually, actually, networking and the cube farm or well, these two projects why they are separated. The Kubernetes in Kubernetes is actually Helm chart which is based on static manifests, which is which are generated by Kuban. And I was thinking, I was even thinking it would be really nice to make some special interest group for that. But I need more uh, people who would be interested in that. So maybe in the future, if the people will start using the same way Kubernetes in Kubernetes, actually, this is control plan. It, it can manage servers differently. For example, I have some requests, not requests, questions about if I can use it with a Docker in Docker and run Docker inside the Kubernetes to have fully virtualized control plan and also compute nodes. 
that's an interesting idea, but for now I, I don't need that. So if the people need it, they can just take this Kubernetes Helm chart and implement their own logic. Another guy wanted to use it with the Ansible to run Kubernetes in control plane in Kubernetes and just use some automation to specify nodes and run Ansible to join the compute nodes to this control plane. Mm-hmm. So this this is I want I wanted to make it more reusable and I really believe that in the future it will be under Kubernetes SIG special interest group. And as about the second project, this is more opinionated way how to deploy the servers and it was needed. I built it especially just for managing bare metal installations. So yep. we have no any virtualization. We running Kubernetes on bare metal servers. And that my my vision about how it should be done. So if someone needs it, he can of course use it. But I see that sometimes there is need some customizations. We were also needed some customizations. That's why we didn't yep. use core OS or some other solutions, already existing solutions. Right, right. For example, yeah, excuse me, I just want to finish. We were also needed some customizations. That's why I created this project. The thing is the the operating system image for each server is built the same way, like we building the Docker files for the other our workloads. So actually, you just need to have Docker file where you describe that I need some Linux kernel, some models, and some software installed, and it will be built into a single Docker image. And it, the same Docker image will be used to boot the other nodes physically. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's an age-old problem, to be honest. You know, just how do you automate the process of bringing up the server from bare metal? And I still see environments today where that process can take weeks, you know, just, just from the workload that everyone's got. And I mean, the process shouldn't take that long, but it's still a long process and it just gets, there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of backups. And it, this is just, uh, you know, a really, it sounds like a really elegant way to, to just automate that process, but clearly it, yeah, it also requires that it's going to work with your hardware and that you've got consistent hardware. And as you said, it's got to work with your networking and, and all that other stuff. So um, it would certainly require some customization, but but the advantage, I guess, is I, I think it's striking. I think it's really a cool, cool thing. I'm sure for you from for your company that that's probably was a, a huge just time saver and and resource saver for for you guys just installing servers because growth that you were talking about is that i mean did you guys really you know just sort of see this incredible like hey this is like you know this burden off my off my shoulders as i'm you know able to focus on other things and i don't have to worry about setting up bare metal servers anymore hey actually uh, we have lack of employees and i probably the alone who's managing this thing right now I have another guy who is understanding how is it working, or I also trying to write uh, good readme files and keep it simplest as it possible. But after all, I manage this alone, and I think that's nice that you can alone manage uh, such amount of servers. Right. But here's here's the question: What happens when if Andre wins the lottery and leaves Widos and says, "I'm"? going to live on the beach now i'm done what is you, you know everything is now 
Yeah, yeah. This is a really good question. And I thinking about that every day when I developing something new, I try to keep uh, the everything is simplest. Yes, this solution is kind of unusual, but it is also very simple. For example, Cube Farm is just uh, implements, it just consists of three or, three or four components like Kubernetes in Kubernetes, which is actually the same binaries, standard Kubernetes, they're just running inside Kubernetes. You can read about that a lot uh, in the internet. Right. The second project is LTSP, which is providing you a Pixie server and the builds, all the steps are described in the Docker file. And it is also just running in the Kubernetes and the rest things is just a configuration. Yeah, there is a DNS mask controller, which is needed to uh, configure and manage DHCP server, but it is also very simple. Mm-hmm. And just three components, and I think it's enough for build such things. Cool, cool. So it's all, and it's all documented within the within the project, is what it sounds Actually, it is. Yeah, there is just few, okay, not few lines, but there is some certain amount of lines. <laughs> on shelf. So right. I think everyone in our company, if he wants to do that, he will able to understand that. Cool. So what's what's next? Like what 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 are you guys thinking about doing next? Where does this all lead? Yeah, with those projects or with our services? Uh either way, I let's talk about both. Okay. Right now we are preparing really interesting thing. We want to be kind of service provider. We want to sell our microservices. This is not only about the microservices. We want also provide Kubernetes as microservice. And it will use the same logic for them uh, deploying. For example, when customer will buy the Kubernetes, he will get his own cluster deployed in some our environment. And he will be able to manage it through them. Yeah, we also have Open Nebula, so he will get uh, virtual machines and he will be able to manage his cluster just as microservice, just putting YAML files into Kubernetes API. So let me ask just sort of the, the, I guess, to me, like sort of the obvious question. So if, if you're, when, as you start to build that out, right, as you build out that service, what's the, I guess, what's the advantage of, of going with Widos as opposed to like AWS or Google or whatever else? Like what, how do you guys think about that? Like how do you differentiate yourselves or, or what, or, or your service? Actually, we are hosting company and we are providing hosting on our own hardware. It will be more expensive if we will uh, buy hardware at Widos, sorry, at AWS or and Google. Uh-huh. But uh, that's just my point of view. I really want to be kind kind of compete. How's it called? Compared. I want to to compete with them. <laughs> you you want the opportunity? Yes, I want to be a cloud also. But who knows? For now, the point of view of the company is concentrated on more simpler services, like and more traditional ones. Yeah, like the traditional hosting. Um, I don't know, virtual machines, no more. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Now that makes sense. And what about for the from the project standpoint? Like, do you have other projects that you're thinking about or are there other things you want to do within these two projects that you've been working on and, you know, like new 
features or or something else you'd want to add to them? Yes, I wanted to make a special interest group, but this is still about finding more interested people in that. And as about the cube farm, I wanted to get rid of LTSP and write my own implementation of any TramFS model, which would allow you to use any Docker image just to boot it on bare metal server. You would need just install the Linux kernel there, and it will work the same way. Like when it's booting, it has some configuration. It sees that uh, it's need to boot server from certain Docker file. It will download this Docker file, unpack it, find some kernel. Everything good. If if everything good, it will run kexec to this uh, actually kernel and continue boot from the Docker image. Cool. And I think this might be really interesting idea because it will provide you even more customization. You can just take any Docker file and boot it on physical server. Yeah, that, image really cool. be able to. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So if our listeners are, you know, if any of the listeners are interested in getting in, getting involved and in, in, in either one of those two projects, let's put a link in the show notes. And if you want to put a, a link in the chat, we can add it to the show notes. In this way, anybody who's listening to it can just reach you or however you want to do it. If, if they should reach out to you directly or if there's a better way to, to just to get involved. But yeah, so... Any any other before we sort of move on to picks, anything else that you want to sort of talk about, either in the services or projects that that you got, that uh, you're working on? I don't know. I every time I'm working um, on many interesting projects and I switching between them, so I I don't know what I can remember. <laughs> I don't know. I have many interesting uh, plugins for kubectl. For example, you can access every node in cluster just with a cube node shell. You write cube node shell and node name, and you will get shell on this node. But for now, it is can be simply replaced by kubectl debug command. And I also have interesting project which allows you to build the Docker files directly on Kubernetes. Like you can, it's drop-in replacement for standard Docker build, but uh, with a difference that everything, the build process will be running exactly inside the Kubernetes cluster. Wow. And I like this project because it allows you to not having Docker at your local local machine. You don't need it anymore. But still, you can have, you don't need any external, you don't need to prepare some credentials for the building Docker images. It will just use your own Docker, fi- uh, Docker config file. That's so cool. I don't know if you want to, or listeners would too, uh, they can check my GitHub. There is really many interesting things. I hope they will find something. So github.com slash K-V-A-P-S. All right. Yeah. Let's drop, let's drop that, that URL uh, in, in the show notes. And because I think that's, that absolutely, I mean, that there's really some interesting things going on. I think anybody who wants to get more involved with Kubernetes or, or look for, you know, the plugins, the projects that you've been building, it sounds like a lot of cool stuff. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Well, cool. 
So I, in a, in a way, I think that was basically, that's sort of your pick. So I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, in the show, we do picks at the end, which is basically just anything that you want to talk about that's top of mind for you, whether it's technology-based or anything else. And I think that's, I, I think you sort of just, just hit it with all the different projects you've got on, uh, in your uh, GitHub space. It sounds like that's going to be a cool place for people to go and, and connect with you and get more information and see what you're working on and maybe even get involved in some of those projects. Yes, I really like open source because it allows you to communicate with other people and share your ideas. Even if your implementation is bad, some, someone can find it and review and make it better. And cool. of course, it is for free. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. So I really like and appreciate community and I like the community. I, I like to communicate. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be able to connect with people, especially people all around the world that are working on similar problems and trying to solve them and coming with different perspectives. Yes. I also wanted to say big thank you to the Kubernetes or especially to Google who would uh, who was able to build build such a big community. This is amazing. A lot of people from all around the world is working on the same project. Right. And I like how it manages it. Uh, there is a lot of things uh, which are made by proper way. I believe in the future of Kubernetes. And I think that in the future, it will be like kind of standard for deploying the applications. Yeah. Yeah. I think this has been a really great conversation because I feel like it's, really filled in a lot of gaps for me and hopefully for, you know, a lot of listeners as well. And just in terms of what you can really do with Kubernetes that, you know, it, it sounds interesting when you just hear about it as a way to sort of managing a whole bunch of containers. But when you talk through like the use case that you guys have been using it for in terms of managing all of your physical infrastructure, I, I feel like it just sort of drives the, the point home. It really you know, you can really sort of imagine the problem and how to solve it when you're talking about that many physical servers across one or two data centers, like that's a huge problem. And being able to apply something like Kubernetes to manage it in a much more efficient way where, I mean, you're just describing, you're basically, how many companies can do this where you've got thousands of servers and you got one person who's managing all of them? Like that's not and granted, you know, you're a hosting company, so you're sort of doing things more uniformly than a company might be doing that's that's hosting, you know, internally hosting a whole bunch of different types of applications. So that has its own challenges. But still, that's 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 really I think impressive when you look at one person who's able to manage a, a pretty sizable farm of servers. Actually, so, uh, uniforming was one of the reasons of doing that. There is a lot of nice solutions which allows you doing the same stuff. Even some projects which are working for the ages, I, I don't remember. OpenStack has some on uh, provisioner for the bare metal servers. It's called, no, I, don't re I don't remember the name of it. I, I can tell it for now. Ironic. Yes, it, it is ironic. And there is also some certain projects which are doing that well. But uh, we decided that we will put everything into Kubernetes because it is uh, declarative and it is amazing that uh, you just define the state you need and you will get the state after certain while. And we were needed that for the workloads and we just wanted to manage the infrastructures the same way. And that's why we did that. Well, well yeah, and, and that, that I think is also impressive is that you are already using it 
you know, in the environment and then to be able to leverage it and use it for other purposes. And therefore you're sort of reusing your knowledge. You're not having to learn a, a different system for managing bare metal servers. You're able to sort of leverage the knowledge you've already built up from, from managing all your containers. So I, I feel like that's a huge advantage, right? So many times, so many IT shops, they're just introducing tool after tool after tool, and you can't become an expert on four different tools. It's if you can leverage your expertise in one thing and 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 apply it in different places, I think that's a really powerful solution. Yeah, yes, I agree. And as I said, I really like that uh, you can provide such ideas. And if still there is not a lot of we are not so big company. Yeah, we are biggest company, uh, we biggest Czech hosting, but Czech Republic is small, <laughs> and we are we are not so big company, and we have no so many employees and many power to support this project. I don't know, maybe for 10, 20, 30 years. But the main idea is that you're providing your ideas, and if something will be happen, someone can implement it the same way easily or just make it work and continue working on that. That's how, how I see that. And yeah, that's actually... No, that's great. I mean, that's great that you're sort of enabling others to write, to, to really take advantage of, of what you've learned and what you've done and and, and then find other creative ways of, of leveraging and customizing it for their own environments. So I, that's, that's, yeah, that's really cool. It's really amazing. This has been... Uh, this has been a really fun conversation. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate you coming on on our show, joining us for this episode. I, I feel like anytime we want to sort of dive into Kubernetes, we should definitely have you back on. And I feel like we could really do a lot of other things and, and do deeper dives in certain areas. But I feel like this has been just a great conversation to find out and understand how you guys are using Kubernetes in just these really just creative and powerful ways. Thank you. <laughs> all right thank you and for all of our listeners thank you for joining us again and until next time we'll talk to you later see you bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more